Hello and welcome to another episode of Below the Fold. This is episode two in season six. I was out sick last week and Brandon Paxton didn't want to do without me, so... Just doesn't feel right. We apologize for the lapse in, in episodes. Anyway, Paxton's out this week. He's speaking at SMX today and what, yesterday or two twice today? What's uh, I think all today. All day today. He's had speaking three at sessions. SMX. West? West. San Jose. San Jose. Okay, so Paxton's out. So today we actually have a guest host. We're brought back Chris Daly. Hi, Hello. Chris. <laughs> hey. hey, hey. <laughs> So Chris has been on the show how many times? Twice. This, your, this is my third. This is your third yeah. time. Okay, so uh, not very many people have been on. I think AJ Wilcox has the record, but it may be three. We may we may be tied. We now. have a jacket once you hit five times. Yeah, yes. once you have five, no one's done that yet. We have a below the fold jacket for exclusive uh, return hosts. I don't know. That's the first You're time I've heard, I've heard of the jacket. We'll Tenured have to get at one that now point. for real. Anyway, so uh, we're actually going to do something we've done in the in the past, but it's been a long time, and, and we got a lot of feedback that people liked it. So we're going to do a whole episode with uh, digital marketing roulette. And if you're if you're just now starting to listen to the show and haven't heard of this this concept before, Brandon has compiled a list of thirty something random questions that are industry specific. In different topics, whether it's A/B testing, SEO, PPC, whatever it is, and he's going to throw the ball on the roulette table. It's going to land on a number, and we're going to talk about about that topic. So, uh, without further ado, let's get started. Brandon, you brought uh, the roulette table. We actually got a new one this time. Yeah, uh, it's a little bit bigger. We we've switched studios since uh, since last season when we were at the Stones Sheba. Now we're recording at the Silicon Slopes uh, Tech Podcasting Studio. Is that what they call it? We That's have right. A, we have a real on the air. In fact, the Stone Sheba. They should think about getting an on the air. He has. Well, there's that box that sits outside, yeah. like a giant one. He wants to do that, and he just hasn't done it yet. Yeah, he's got to do that. Okay, so. Uh, we're we're at the Silicon Slopes podcasting studio. Uh, Brandon's, are you ready with the roulette table? Yeah, it's a proper board too. You said thirty numbers. It's thirty six. I said thirty something. Okay, okay. Well, thirty six, and we got one green zero here. That's right. Not so, a double zero board, right? We want better odds <laughs> for this one. So we've got the roulette table out here. Uh, Chris, actually, uh, you're a big roulette player, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I always go with black. <laughs> Go with black. Uh huh. Okay. 50 50. Uh huh. Yep. So we've got our we've got our roulette table out. It's not actually 50 50 because of the green one. Ah, uh, that's true. You're right. Uh, so, so what are the roulette odds table then? I have no idea. That would make uh, it. Uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> let's 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 not let's not delay this. Let's get right. the ball rolling and let's see what going. the first topic is. That's that's the ball loud. rolls a little different here on this new board. Oh, uh, 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 there we go. All righty. Number five. All right. Question five is you're able to time travel back to when you got your very first job in marketing. You're able to give the old you one piece of advice before you go back to the future. What advice is that going to be? Okay. So your first job, Jacob, was was that 97th floor? First my, marketing job? My first marketing job. 
was actually at the Wayne Brown Institute. All right. Which was a little bit before that, but so there um, you are, the Wayne Brown, old Jacob. You got your valet shirt on. My valet shirt. You ready for your sh- your night shift? So what advice are you giving yourself? I'm I'm actually uh, I'm I'm not going to go back that far. I want to go back to to old Jacob at 97th floor. All right. So when I first started at 97th floor, I interviewed with Wayne Slight, who um, awesome dude. We love Wayne. He, I was interviewing for what I thought was the social media marketing job. And at the time, I wanted to do social media, which I look back now and I'm like, Bleh. like social <laughs> social is not something I'm interested in. But I was in that interview and one of his very first questions was, so why are you interested in SEO? And in my mind, I'm thinking, what the heck is SEO? Like, what what is that? But what came out was, oh, pfft. Dude, I love SEO. I don't even I, like. I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was basically along those lines. Like, oh, you know, yeah, I've been, I've been looking at SEO for a long time, and I'm just like, oh, lots of passion there. And apparently, he believed it because they hired me, and I was, I started doing SEO. But um, what I would go back and tell my old self back then is how important client communication is. Client communication is one of the most important things and, uh, there can be. And I've been on both sides. When you're on the agency side, there's an element of everyone knows when you hire an agency, you're paying for a percentage of their attention. You're paying for a percentage of their time and a percentage of their effort. And you want to make sure that you're getting as much out of that as possible because you are full-time on a specific job and if and, and you know they're not, right? So as an agency... Communicating with your clients is important for lots of reasons. One of the main reasons is so that they know that they're thinking about you and spending time on your yeah. account, and 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 they know that that's like a priority for you. And I don't think there was enough done at that time. And now that I'm on the other side of the of the table where I'm hiring agencies, I now see the importance. And one of my biggest pet peeves is never hearing from the people that I pay with updates on how my stuff is doing. I like it. Chris, you, I imagine you have a lot of experience with that. Yeah, one of the things that I actually uh, in my last job that I that I learned that I feel really grateful for is uh, you know so the last company I was at disruptive advertising for for a while they were doing something called the Wow Factor, and the Wow Factor was air quotes <laughs> was doing one thing outside of your scope of work each month. So this is something that I've adopted in my new agency is once a month at, at least once a month for my clients. I will go in and uh, pull up some analytics report that I haven't looked at for a while and just send them a quick note. Hey, P.S., you might want to look at your social uh, your, your social traffic looks like conversion rates have gone down or, you know, whatever it is. But pulling some kind of thing, because when when I imagine, I mean, Jacob being on the receiving end of this, if you were to see one proactive report, my guess is you would think this is probably one of a dozen that they've been looking at this week. Like, that's amazing that they sent me something. You know, it must have taken them hours to dig this up, even though it might have only taken 10 minutes of time. Um, so I, I like record, that a lot. I would know that it would have taken 10 minutes to pull that. <laughs> <laughs> and you would say, actually, I looked at this report yesterday and your analysis was off. <laughs> no, even, even, that, even that little thing would be more than what most people are doing. Yes. Yep. And, and it's always me opening up an email and sending something out like, hey, like, what's the deal here? Or, hey, you said this thing was going to happen. Why haven't I heard a follow-up on this or whatever? Yep. So 
Um, that's my, I mean, that's my thing. I didn't mean to push that on, on you, Chris. But no, no, no. Uh, no, in, I mean. In, in my peripheral, I saw your, some head movements yeah. as if you were, <laughs> had, had some follow-up thoughts there. No, I, I so mine is kind of a, a different direction because, you know, when I was, when I got my start in digital marketing, it was also an SEO. I was not in conversion rate op- optimization at that point. Um, and aside from giving myself the advice to get into CRO sooner, <laughs> I would have given myself the advice to start networking a lot earlier than I did. I I didn't go to a single networking event. Like when I would go to digital marketing conferences, I would sit in my hotel room during the networking events because I'm like, why do I need to network? Like, I'm not looking for a job. (laughs) Like the only possible reason I could conceive of for talking to other people is if I'm interested in a job. Um, And so when I started my first agency in 2014, I'm like, I don't know anybody. Like, how am I going to find clients? <laughs> and so uh, I did myself a great disservice in many ways. First of all, I wasn't in the habit of of talking to other people, uh, whether it was in the industry or out. And so I had underdeveloped um, professional conversation skills. Um, and I also didn't, I, I didn't have like a network of people I could reach out to other than my family, you know? And so... Uh, it took are, you, me, are you chewing gum right now? I am chewing gum. Holy yeah. cow. Podcast recording 101 there, Chris. <laughs> I, I didn't even I, I notice. Can, I can hear your... Can your, you? Yeah. So maybe I just need to move this thing back farther. <laughs> <laughs> or just throw it away. <laughs> My mouth gets really dry, all right? All right. Okay, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> I'll stop chewing it. Anyways, um, so going back to like kind of your point of, of client communications, when you practice communicating with people on a regular basis you get much, much better at it. Like when I, when I wanted to start working at, or speaking at conferences, one of the pieces of feedback that I got from someone was get on as many podcasts as you can. And I said, why? And they said, because it'll help you practice speaking and talking about your subject and not saying, um, all the time and all those dumb things. So just the habit of getting out there and talking to other people, no matter what, whether you're an SEO specialist or social media specialist or an agency owner, the act of getting out there and talking to other people is going to help you in a variety of ways that I was so untrained at when I started my first company. I like that. In fact, it triggered it triggered something. I feel like my response was kind of a cop out, like, I don't know, not not a fun answer. As I'm thinking through this and it's it's different, but uh, I now have experience in like negotiating my salary and uh, negotiating contracts. And there's a lot more that I know now than I did when I first started, I was making $14 an hour when I started at 97th floor. Uh, like it wasn't a salary job. It was just like this hourly, hourly gig. And I would go back and I would literally just like train myself on how much value I had, how much I was worth. And even if I wasn't worth that, how to get what you wanted out of a salary and out of, out of kind of monetary bonuses and things like that. There is no scenario in which I do not ask for more. In fact, at my last job, one of my like sayings that I was known for that people still talk to me about is always ask for more, period. Even if you're fresh out of college and it's your first entry-level job? fresh out of college. Here, here's, here's why. In fact, this is, this is good information for anyone listening. I have, I've, I've been, I've been in the hiring process, right? So I've hired team members, I've trained, like I've, and I, I, it's not one of my favorite things is interviewing and hiring and looking for somebody. And it's not many people love doing that. 
When you're in the process of hiring and you're looking for a new team member, whether that's for a new position or a vacated position that you're hiring for, you you go through the process of uh, creating a job description, putting it out there, whether you're working with recruiters or you're not, or whatever the process is, people start submitting their resumes and they're looking for jobs and they come in and you're just going through this process. You're putting time on your calendar to sit down for 30 to 60 minutes to talk to someone to determine whether or not they are a good fit. And if they're not, you move on to the next one. And it's usually, I don't know what the statistics are, but for every position that I have ever hired for, I guarantee I have interviewed at least 12 to 24 people per position. And and there are lots of positions that I've hired for. So by the time you're at the point where you're like, I like this person enough to bring them back in, to meet with other people, to start considering or sitting down and strategizing how much you pay them. Like so much goes into that before you even send them the offer that they have, they have a ton of leverage, right? Because what happens? You decide this is the person you send them, them an offer letter and they come back and they say, Hey, thank you so much. I, I look forward to accepting this. There are just a few things that I need to modify. I need this and this or, or however they word it and whatever justification they give, it comes back You then, as the employer, you have to think, okay, is it worth my time to pay this person $5,000 more a year in order to stop searching for the person? Because I've already determined that this is the right person. And the answer is almost always yes. Now, if they come back and they ask for some exorbitant amount of money, that may be a different story. But I will tell you this. (coughs) Oh, I've got a cough button. There's a cough button right there. (laughs) I'll tell you this. Almost always... When I decide the person is right, part of the conversation with the leadership that I'm working with in hiring this person is how much are we going to offer and how much are we going to have in reserve if they come back with a counter? And in most cases, they always accept the first offer. And you know what that means? They left money on the table. Almost every single time we come in and we say, okay, we're going to offer this much, say it's $50,000. We're going to offer this entry-level position $50,000. If they come back with more, we've got another 2000 and then maybe another 3000 signing bonus, a one-time thing, and, and they come back and they say yes or no. If they say, yeah, I'll take that, okay, we just saved the company $5,000, right? It's almost always the case that people are, are planning on, on you countering. So if you're not asking for more every single time, you're leaving money on the table. So that's, 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 what, that's the advice that I would go back and I would tell my old self, along with the client communication, which is important. But I, I can't tell you how many times I left money on the table until I, I learned not to. Negotiate your salary. I like it. Should we move on to the next question? Yeah, I didn't hear from you, but I'm ready to move on. All right. Yeah, we, we beat that topic to death, so I don't want to keep going, you know. All right. Let me. Where was that ball? Here it is. Gosh, that is loud. It's a big ball, man. It's just the studio. It's the mahogany wood around the outside. Hey, all right, 21. All right, this one may go quick. It might go all night, depending on how passionate you are in the subject. Open office space or closed office space? What is the better one to work in? This is a fun topic. So I've mostly been in open office spaces. I would prefer to be in an office myself, but I don't... Like a private office. Oh, yeah. I want a private office all day long. So I've heard. Why, why do I want a yeah. closed office? Yeah. Because I don't want people bugging me all the time. 
And I want to uh, feel like I'm better than everyone else. So <laughs> that's a good question then. Like you want, you don't want everyone to have private offices. No. You want there to be an open space, but you get the private office. Well, you're making it sound like there's only one. Well, I mean, there's usually you get, multiple. You get the handful of private offices. So you want a hundred private offices for everyone. No, I want, I want, uh, no, I want there to be private offices for executive leadership and then, you know, sales teams, marketing teams, all the teams, they can, they can be in their open office. Peons. Which I think is fine, right? Like, like I'm in an open office. I do not have my own private office right now. And it's almost like you feel like you're paying your dues. Like I look forward to the time when I will have my private office. Like that's kind of how it feels. Anyway, I heard this analogy made that open offices is kind of like a nude beach. <laughs> now, before before I go into the reason why it was it was called that, I want to I want to get kind of your opinion just just by saying open office spaces is like a nude beach. What does that What does that make you think it means? All your stuff's hanging out. Right there. The There's nowhere to hide. No privacy is, I guess, the general thought that comes to mind. Yeah, so that's part of it. And and so I read this in an article, and the article ended by also also mentioning that like you feel kind of exposed. And initially, like if you just get a new job and you come and you're in an open office space and you're not used to that kind of environment, it's kind of like you go to a nude beach for the first time and you're like, holy cow, I'm naked. But then you realize shortly after, well, everybody's naked. <laughs> so you kind of get used to it and, and kind of move on. So I have a different take because I... You don't feel like you're in a nude beach? Uh, no. But, but my, my reason for wanting... Because pri- I, I, I also I don't like the open office plan. Um, for some of the same reasons, I feel like it, uh, it's very distracting. I actually read an article about why <laughs> the first open office plans... Uh, came about and it was mostly to save money because they're like, hey, we could just put everybody out here and we look, we don't even have to put ceiling tiles on, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then everyone happened to think it was cool. So it was a it was a win win. But um, but I I can't I, I don't think well when there's a lot of a lot happening around me. I'm very easily distracted. Um, and, and I and then cubicles were invented even with even with cubicles. I personally do my best deep thinking, which is important, I think, for marketers, is to have critical deep thinking time. Um, I do my best deep thinking when it's quiet. And so whether or not there's a cubicle or, you know, or to me, I need to be separated physically. And I like having places where you can come together. Um, but I, I have never liked the open office environment. And now that I'm off on my own and I can kind of go and seclude myself for hours, I get tremendously more done. So you're at Kiln. Mm-hmm. Is that because you can't work at home with your family? That's exactly why. Yeah. I mean, I've got young kids at home. And so I, uh, I, I love playing with my kids. When I'm at home working, my kids want to play all the time. Yeah. And I have a hard time saying no. So... I have to be out, I have to be out of the house. Okay, so I, yeah, I, I, to some extent, it sounds like we're in the same boat. I don't care if other people work in, in open offices as long as. But if you're starting, because there is two ways. As I was writing this question, there's two ways to ask the question. There is what do you as an individual prefer, and then if you were in charge of a company and you were like planning the next office, would you do an open office? 
environment, yeah, or would, would you be like, well, I'm going to get private offices for everyone because it sounds like even the little guys are having a hard time concentrating, and this is going to be better if everybody just has offices. No, I, I, I believe just in indirectly call me a little guy. No, <laughs> <laughs> like you guys were saying, like the peons who are you got to earn your way, you got to work your way up to the well. To I, the did, office. I did not use the word peon. I think you did. No, actually. I did. Oh, I you did. did. Okay, uh, peons. No, peons. No, I don't. I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, Ryan Smith, the CEO and founder of Qualtrics, he works in an open office. He does not have a private office. He just has. So does Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, so I don't I like say, calling people peons because they they work in and I I don't I, I'm not necessarily I was being antagonistic. Yeah, I, I don't yeah I don't think you were being serious. Uh, I, that's not how I see it. Um, I I do think that um, no. I, so to answer your second the second part of your question, I would as a business owner I would create an open office space, and I I do see the benefit. Even even me who's not a huge fan of open office where I'm working now. There's a lot of opportunity for collaboration, and uh, when I'm when I'm working on something and my team right behind me is you know, at any point I can be like something triggers. There's some question I could just turn around and ask a question and get an answer. That's that's way more likely to happen in an environment where you are together than if everyone is in their own office. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a wrench in in your argument there. I collaborate much better over Slack or via video conferences than I do when it's in person. Because when it's in person, I don't have a few minutes to think about my response for something. And so I personally feel like if I, I mean, if I was, I'm still debating this. I talked to you guys about this beforehand. But if I decide to hire a bunch of people, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to do an office space. I'm going to have everybody work remotely and we're going to collaborate online. Because I feel like if I'm asking for somebody's thoughts on it, if I'm asking for their impromptu thoughts right now on the spot, I'm probably going to get a worse answer than if I give them five to ten minutes to think about it. Yeah, but it's not always five to ten minutes that you get a response. Like if you're working through email or Slack, you could need something and then two hours from now you're getting an answer and you've already gotten the answer. But that's a training issue in else. my mind. That's just a training issue. If it's like if if you if you get a message from me on Slack and you don't respond within 20 minutes like there's a problem yeah it sounds it sounds more like a preference thing because i i'm more of a i need this now mm-hmm. and let's move on it's a it's an efficiency thing uh now there is the issue of flybys which is why most people do not like open office spaces in which there there are different ways of of solving that and and, and to be honest there are companies out there that are 100 percent remote um, Zapier is one of them. Zapier is one of the biggest tech companies out there. Hotjar is remote. Hotjar, and they're exclusively remote, and they and it works that way. And I, I like I think that's fine. I'm not coming at. I I think that's great. Uh, some organizations can't do that. Even 97 Floor, who who works in a row environment, which is remote optional. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they can they can, they can work they can work through that as well. Um, so, but my, my problem though is what you described. So you said, I'm an, I, I need it now kind of person. Yep. And the problem that I have with that is that fosters a culture of urgent, whatever's urgent needs to be done now. And to me for marketing, uh, the urgent things are not always the most important things you want people working on. So I, I personally am more of the, just because it's urgent for you doesn't necessarily make it urgent for me. 
and and I I want I want to train people on how to filter through priorities and then let my employees make the decision of if Jacob comes to you and says this is urgent I need it done now but he has something that that in his prioritization list is actually more important don't get back to him right away yeah I agree uh, unless it's from me if I'm starting a company I want to train people to do exactly that unless well, it's they from always me. will and then get they back do it immediately you will always be the highest priority because you're paying them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I, uh, I I do agree. I do agree that people need to be better about prioritizing their tasks for sure. I do think the row situation actually provides a really good. I think balance it's a good balance, it yeah. Because if I really need to hunker down and focus, I could stay at home. Like if I'm like worried about distractions, and everyone's unique. If if home is just the worst place, like I have a, an office at home that I can close the door, and the kids know they're not supposed to come in. Um, there's still the temptations and stuff, but if I go in and then 97th floor also has it to where there's quiet room. So if you can't work at home because you're distracted there, but then you also don't want, I mean, we also don't allow drive-bys technically, like you're not supposed to walk by someone's desk, stuff like that. But I feel like the row situation is like one of the most ideal ways to, I don't mind working. In, like sometimes I like going, like I, I go to work specifically because I want to talk to some people and I don't want to be isolated. So I just go into work. And then I can chit chat with people, and the open office environment makes that much easier. So, I, I'm not as strong towards one way or the other. Like I never, I will never care if I get a private office. Um, I've been pretty happy with the open environment. Um, I actually don't think there's a perfect solution. I don't think I don't. I mean, yeah. And and it, and it comes down to even personality, right? Yeah, Where it's definitely personality. If if you are extremely extroverted and you are working remote all the time and you have no chance to socialize and, and and interact with people that's a very lonely uh work environment that that people like i would not i would not do well in a an environment like that yeah. uh, but some people do um so and and maybe that's where row comes in where you have you have the choice to do either one okay I like it let's let's try at least uh one more here and um hopefully it's a dope one Oh, I bet it will be. <clears throat> hey, look at that. Number zero. Oh, wow. We, have we ever had a zero? I don't know. That's the first time. All right. Well, we got the perfect person on the show for this one. Um, what ethical considerations are there when building A-B tests? I love this question. So what? the first thing that comes to my mind, not an opinion, but just a story, is when Facebook was doing tests with like negative in 2014 is that when it was yep and they were basically like testing i forget what the the test exactly was yeah so I'll, 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 in fact i'm glad chris is here and because he likes to kind of ruminate on things before he says things <laughs> he could take a couple minutes here to think think through his answer so yeah facebook 2014 they did an experiment where they took just almost 7000 people out of their out of their group and they wanted to test whether negative content in their feed affected their mood hmm. right now there this is interesting because uh there was a lot of controversy around this a b test because they were kind of testing without people knowing like the participants did not know they were participating um in altering mood right hmm. which is not necessarily has anything to do with performance or clicks or engagement but literally, they just thought, hey, we've got billions of people we can mess with. I don't think that's exactly what they said. But uh, yeah, 700,000 people. 
and they based it on uh, the sentiment of the words in the posts, right? So negative sentiment versus positive sentiment. If they put more negative sentiment in someone's feed, would that affect their mood? Um, how do they, they measure? Yeah, how do they measure mood? Is uh, that based off what they're then posting? So I, uh, I think, yeah, that's exactly what, what it was. So based on what they were seeing, were they posting more negative mm. content, right? So, uh, which is, ha- I mean, that's how you would have to do it if they're unknowing, right? Otherwise, yeah. you just do a survey later and you're like, hey, what, from out of one to 10, what, where, what's your happiness today? <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, it, so I did think about that story as well, and and there are I mean there are lots of different ways you can look at this. And morality is one of my favorite topics um, in digital marketing. There are a lot of ways to go about it, but A/B testing is an interesting one because a lot of people argue that anyone who's a, okay. One last one last story to illustrate this. So there was a um, there was a school. I'm going to get some of the details wrong. At least the details that don't matter. There's some college that had a guest speaker that was a PhD in statistics who came and spoke. And he, the first question he asks is, raise your hand if you have been a part of a, an experiment by Google, Netflix, or Amazon. And one or two or three people raises their hands. And he's like, no, all of you have been a part of some experiment by one of those companies. And then he goes in, in to say, online marketing, that's what it is. You do A-B testing, and you're a part of an experiment. And there are a lot of people who, who are against not letting people know that they're a part of an experiment, right? Like, anyway, so that's, that's kind of like, when I think about morality or morals within A-B testing, I have my own opinions, but that's, those are the two lines where it's like, does it matter if people are in the dark when they're a part of an experiment and they never know or is that something that they have the right to know about, or whatever else, whatever, what other, what, whatever other moral? My know. knee-jerk reaction is, where do you draw the line? Because a simple A/B test online, at least, is we're testing this featured image versus this featured image, right? But then, just even in, like in business, like we're testing this menu price versus this. Uh, we're testing having the lights on bright in the restaurant versus having it a little bit lower and seeing if people make any complaints. Like, where do you draw the line? Because business is really just a constant experiment where you're just looking at how our customers engaging with my brand, adjusting things, see how yeah. they, no, they no, go. No, and- no, you're right. You're right. And, and that's talking about the A-B testing campaign or, or strategy as a whole. But when you drill down to the individual, what you're really doing is modifying behavior at its core. That's also marketing. No, yeah, totally, right? And, and there are, I mean, like I said, you, and we've had, we've had episodes where we talk specifically about ethics and marketing. This is more of like, what are the ethics in A-B testing, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. we are literally, uh, you change the color of a button and it gets 12% more clicks. You just modify the behavior of 12% of your sample. Anyway, so, it may sound like I'm on one side, uh, but I have not yet shared my opinion on where I'm at. I want to hear. I want to hear what Chris has to say. This is your entire profession here. Yeah. Well, so uh, there's there's a few thoughts going through my mind because um, I I don't view it as I don't view it as modifying behavior because to me that's that that sounds like it is beyond people's control. Um, I, I view what you know like. I don't know if you guys have ever watched like a hypnotist, but hypnotists will usually put out a disclaimer that says. 
yes, I am going to get you to do things, but you will not do anything under hypnotism that you would not do in real life under the right circumstances, right? So he's not saying, I'm going, he's not forcing you to do anything. He's not taking away your agency. He's not taking your agency away. He's, he's, he's putting you in the right circumstances to do something like comedic or whatever, you know, or, or if you're doing hypnotherapy, they're putting you in the right state of mind to uncover things that you might have never done, you know, uncovered before. So to me, but can you see where people are coming from? I, I can see where people are coming from. Here's my challenge though, with the idea of giving them a disclaimer is because we, we've talked about this before the Hawthorne effect, right? As soon as somebody knows they're part of an experiment, they they're going to behave differently yeah. than they would if they were not aware that they were being experimented on, right? And so my problem is that which act, ru- which ruins the A/B testing. It ruins the whole thing, right? And so it makes it it makes A/B testing useless if you have to tell everyone they're being tested. Yeah, I uh, so I I am one hundred percent for never disclosing experiments. I don't care. I, there's to me, and I'm like I I feel like I'm in the I'm in the in the camp that's like we should be morally responsible we should be ethical mm-hmm. i do not think that's a moral or ethical question i don't either uh I, like i do i love the idea of and when we talk about behavior modification it's very interesting because when we talk about a 13 percent increase in clicks if that color were the original color of the control you wouldn't have gotten that you literally modified that behavior meaning However many people is in that sample, right? I mean, if it's 100 people, it's 13 people. 13 people would not have clicked that had it been a different color. And I know, I, I actually think that it frustrates Chris a little bit when people talk about, like, switching button colors. Uh, just cause <laughs> that's, that's all like, A-B testing is, right? <laughs> well, yeah, that's like, that's like the example that button everybody colors. uses. Uh, I actually, most of the stuff that I learned about A-B testing was from Chris when we worked together at Miri Genetics. Like that, like I mean, I, I always knew that it was bigger and greater than what people thought, but the fact that this is one of the greatest statistics that I still tout to this day, and if I'm wrong or if it's changed, let me know. But through A/B testing, you think about the dramatic change. What do you call the dramatic changes that you do up front, like the the format changes and the color changes? Do you have a specific name for that? Because after that, you have iterative changes. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm asking is, what are the changes you make before you make the iterative changes? Is there a name for that? Well, what I don't know what I called it back then. I have, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have, I have, I call them like existence changes. Okay, so like whether that. or not something should or should not be there, then I have iterative changes, the stuff that should be there. Let's tweak it, and then we have big. I call them exploration kind of tests or big design changes. Those okay. kinds of things. So here, here's what blew my mind: radical, radical redesign. Okay, I like what that. I used to radical. Call it. So. Um, I remember the existence uh, tests, and that's kind of like, yeah, that's like, should this exist or not in a navigation? Does that Are people even using yeah. this feature? Yep. So let's take that out. Let's talk about the radical changes versus the iterative, because even, even the words radical and iterative mean big and small. And I remember Chris telling me, because we, 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 we went through both, and, and we did the radical changes, and we saw something like 400% increase in clicks uh, or, or leads on the specific thing we were working on. And we were like, holy crap, this is insane. And then he said, yes, we could get the same exact results starting now with iterative changes. Yep. So let's make big changes. But then over time, we make enough changes with the, the sm- like co- little copy changes that could potentially gain 400% more. Anyway, that's, a, that's another 
kind of topic so, there. But so let me because I, I just want to clarify on the behavior modification idea. Um, again, in my mind, what what we're doing when we are A/B testing, in reality, what we're what we should be trying to do is we should be trying to figure out how can I best present my product. How can I most accurate, accurately represent my product so that someone who's looking for it will will buy it, right? And so to me, it's I'm not the the greasy car salesman that's trying to twist your arm into buying something you don't want to buy today. I'm instead I am the website that presents you with all the facts for the car. And if these facts, if these features are what you're looking for, then we have it. And so to me, what 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 we're doing with so an hang, A/B test? Hang on, Chris. Hang on, because I I agree and like. Apologies if if I made it sound like you were no, a no, greasy no, car salesman, no. but that does not explain certain aspects of A/B testing, like color changes, because mm-hmm. color changing has absolutely nothing to do with the product you're selling, right. but it does have to do with getting whether it's their attention or whatever it is. Even yep. if it's even if it's the language, buy now, click here, whatever the the call to action is. It may not be specific to the product, but it does get more clicks. Right. And so, again, to me, what what you're doing with an A-B test is you're trying to create the environment, the right environment for success. And so, again, to me, what I think about A-B testing is you're not modifying someone's behavior. You're modifying the environment so that they so that they so are that most they enabled so that they are most enabled to make a choice right <laughs> yeah 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 to make the choice that I want them to of course right. but I'm not making <laughs> them make that choice that. I'm just creating the right circumstances for them to make that choice uh, just like <laughs> this is this is uh this is public relations at its finest this is spin doctoring <laughs> what he does uh hey man you call it whatever you want okay but 13 people wouldn't have clicked if you hadn't done that one thing right yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, Brandon, I have so morality and A/B testing. You, I think, are in the same boat, right? Where you're like, there's not, there's nothing here. Like, well, yeah, just you because should, you like, should, it's a business, you should do whatever you can within the bounds of you know eth- ethical guidelines, wherever you feel like those are. And I always use Neil Patel because he's the only one that comes to my mind whenever we talk about uh, anything that has to do with ethics. And how he there there's there are no lines. Well, you have dark in. patterns, right? Which yeah. we've discussed before. Love, love talking dark patterns. Um, and dark patterns is a would likely be a huge topic in A/B testing as well. Sure. I mean, I, I remember one example on that one dark patterns website was Papa, Papa John's oh. came to mind. Maybe because I'm always ordering pizza on the app, but I think at one point they would basically hide the specials. Like the specials were they made it more difficult to get to um, than if they had just put it in a certain spot. Or I think it was, you could like order, it's kind of like when you go to a restaurant, it's like, I want a burger, I'll have a fry, and go ahead and get me a drink. You didn't say combo, so I'm charging you individually for all of them. And, and apps will kind of do that to where it's like, oh, you didn't claim the special. You saw the special, you didn't claim it though. You're supposed to hit the claim, like little patterns like that. Um, I, I, so, so I don't think it's like, if you can't draw a line, then there should be no regulation or any type of standard being like you should notify people because at the end of the day, again, marketing business, it's all just a constant experiment where we're modifying. I don't believe that we're really modifying behavior either. I believe I'm modifying this hat, seeing if it, if I move it here, will that drive Jacob a little bit? Will he be a little bit more angry that I have a hat in the table now? Or if I take it off next time, is he going to be in a better mood? 
I'm not modifying your behavior. I'm modifying something and analyzing so how your behavior. You're modifying the environment, and then other people's behavior is going to respond to sure. the environment. And then I'm just analyzing how you react to that, which that's just business, right? Like, I'm going to put this product out, see how people respond. Okay, so this is this is why I appreciate not just this topic, but any talk about ethics, because everyone has a line. They're just in different places. I have so, no lines, Jacob. So, well, so so you talk about business, right? Whatever it takes. And I like I don't I don't buy that, right? Because when you talk about dark patterns, and I'll use some some other examples that that um, Chris has probably seen in in his um, in his career. Think about like a, a modal or a or, or a pop up, right? Where there's an X in the top right, but clicking on it submits the form instead of X outs of the window, right? Is that sure. ethical? You'll get more. You'll get more submissions. Is that okay? Because you're a business. You're just making money. No, that's deceiving them into doing something that they wouldn't otherwise do. Another example. So there was a company who was who was advertising on uh, LinkedIn or not LinkedIn on uh, uh, it was either Snapchat or or uh, what's the other picture one? Instagram. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that huge. Uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so Instagram and they had a, an image and within the image they actually put a hair. In the image that got people to swipe up, trying to get rid of the hair. Okay, so it happens all the time on Facebook. People just have a profile picture where it's just white and a hair, and it shows up on the side of your phone when you're scrolling <laughs> on Facebook, and you're just like, "Oh, oh, that's our profile," and you accidentally click another profile. Yeah, and, that's well, smart though with the swipe. Well, well, yeah, that's a swipe, right? Because on the feed, it just swipes up, but sure. on Instagram and Snapchat, you swipe, and that's like that's the conversion. That's the that's the click. So tell me, is that something that you would A/B test into? Hey, let's put a hair. Let's not put a hair to see if we can get more more upswipes. So I should I should clarify, and sometimes I have oh, to okay. clarify there is myself. Brandon does have a line. That's what you're about to say. Well, I always jump to like regulation, and I'm like, no, no, no regulation. Like like Facebook should not be sued for the experiment that they ran. You could argue that they crossed ethical lines. I will agree with that. And so, well, they were literally trying to modify behavior. Like they were trying to see sure. if they could affect someone's happiness by by putting negative uh, negative content in their feed. I think the rule of thumb for me is, which is, by the way, I don't care about that. Is like, this experiment like something that is ultimately going to make the lives of our customers better, a better experience? Or so whatnot? that's your line. I think that's the you line. You put a hair on an on an image. That's, that's not going to. That's, that's not, not going to get more good, business. Yeah. You're like, going to get more clicks or more swipes. You're going to get more swipes. And as a marketer, if you're reporting to your leadership and they're, they care about engagement and you're like, hey, we have 20% more swipe ups and they're happy with that, great. Go do that. But if, sure. if you care about sales and customer that's, engagement. That's what I was going to say. If, if you're looking at the bottom line, because if you do have the auto submit form where you X out of it and it and it submits their email anyways – Yes, they didn't give you their email, and that probably actually crosses some regulation. But to me, it's not unethical because if somebody if, – if what I'm looking for is sales and I run this test and I do get more sales from auto-submitting somebody's email address, that means that I gave them some product that they actually wanted. Like they wouldn't buy if – but if, but if I am submitting people's emails and they don't want the product and they didn't want to be marketed to – I'm going to get a ton of unsubscribes. I'm not going to get more sales. I'll probably actually get less sales, and I'll get a ton of complaints. So all the KPIs that what I'm if tracking, if I get a lot of sales and a lot of complaints. Meaning, meaning, yes, you're getting more emails, and yes, that equates to more sales, but your unsubscribe rate and your spam rate go up mm-hmm. because of that, which is likely going to happen. Mm-hmm. 
where's where's the line where you're like, well, we need to get X amount of sales in order to justify having this many See, unsubscribes? To, to me, there's there's just the law of natural consequences that comes in, where it's like there will eventually be some natural consequence that happens. Either your unsubscribe rate or your spam rate goes so high that you can no longer email people. And in that case, you have not done a good thing for your company because you have you're, you are now um, you are now inhibiting them from being able to make money through email. And so, to me, if there is a natural consequence down some path that I could, I, I'd say the same thing for SEO. It's like SEO. I, I actually don't buy that that that's the road that you're on because I I and you personally, mm-hmm. I don't think you're waiting until your unsubscribe and spam rate are high enough for that consequence to happen. No. I think that you are no, no, way, no, you're, you're, no, no, you're what taking I'm action saying, before that No, what happens. I'm saying is if you look down the path, so if you think where will this road lead so me? So you're, you're not saying you're waiting for that to happen. You're I'm not waiting for the natural likely. consequence. I'm saying if you look down, because I could, I could argue this for SEOs, like back when you're doing these link farms and stuff, it's like if you look far enough down the road, this is eventually going to get shut sure. down. Like, and, and you're going to tank your, your, um, you know, your rankings. I think a lot of people, a lot of SEOs that were in the industry were, were knew that that was coming. And so the people that were, you know, trying to just get some, uh, you know, get the, quick get, wins. The, get the quick wins while they still could, they knew that what they were doing wasn't in the long-term best interest of their clients or companies, but they were like, it's working right now, so I might as well. So I'm, I personally am not that kind of marketer, and I don't think it's an ethical thing. I think it's a... Let's think strategically. What's the best thing for the company? The best thing for the company is let's look three years down the road and say, are our customers going to be delighted? Are, you know, could this potentially get us shut down out of business? If it would, then let's not do it. Not necessarily because it's an ethical issue, but because it, you're, it's, it's going to cause bad business for bad you. Juju. Bad okay, juju. La- last thing on this, and then I think we're going to be out of time here. So I can't remember the term, but there's a term for this. And I think it technically falls under dark patterns, but I'm not totally sure. So think about uh, when a form pops up or you're, you're doing a form or whatever, and the button, you have two options. You have the submit button, and then you have the I'm not interested button, but it doesn't say I'm not interested. It I'm says, okay with being an idiot. Yes, that's yeah. exactly right. You know what I'm talking about? So I, I, I can't remember. There's, a ter- there's literally a term for that. Even Purple was guilty of that, where, where they had a form that was like, su- you know, submit or whatever. And the other one was... I detest comfort, right? So um, what are your thoughts on adding things like that into an A-B test? I love it. Do you? I love it because to me. <laughs> I, hate, I hate it. Oh, I hate it from, tell, from tell an ethical standpoint. It. Be, because it's, again, it's, it's and it works mm-hmm. because people, I, I don't know why it works. I have like, it's like, oh, I click this button and all of a sudden people are going to think that I detest comfort. Um, Hold on. So what what it does is it is it gives people a moment of pause to think about what they're doing. That's that's what it does for me. When I see this button that says I'm not interested in saving money, I go, wait, what is it that they're offering me? Because usually I get a pop up and I have banner blindness and I immediately look for the way to close out of it. And so when I have this option that's like I'm okay with being an idiot, it's like, wait, what are they going to do that's going to make me not an idiot? No, no, I actually don't want that. So I'm okay with clicking the I'm an idiot button, you know? <laughs> uh, no, that has nothing to do with why I don't like it. Okay, tell me. The reason I don't like it is it goes it goes back to your, uh, to your delighted comment, mm-hmm. right? I don't think that delights anybody. I, I, like, I don't think anyone, any, in fact, it's called, um, it has the word shame. It's like button shaming or, or, or something like <laughs> yeah. that. That's what it's doing. It's shaming people into clicking the button 
that doesn't say that. Right. So so what I like and what I agree with, let me clarify, is I like the concept. I don't like some of the practices. So I like the idea of putting something dramatic on your button to get people to think twice. I don't like the idea of saying, you're an idiot if you click this. I do love the idea of saying, of saying, um, uh, you know, if I'm if I'm Old Spice and the no button says I'm okay with smelling like a pig, you know, like that's kind of funny, you know, and I and I could see that kind of kind of delighting people. And even if you click it, going, oh, that's kind of humorous, you know. So to me, it's it's about the approach rather than like the principle. I think is a good principle, which is let's help people really think this decision through. The practice can definitely be abused, and you will eventually sure. end up with bad reviews, bad, upset customers, and that's not going to be good for business. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think we can align on that a little bit. I it it, it should be it should reflect your brand. So, sure. like Dollar yep. Shave Club, for example, they have kind of a, I mean, their brand is very very strict. But if you get, why are you laughing? Brandon? I just think of like different buttons, oh. like the difference between like if it's Old Spice, it's like you could say, no, I'm an asshole. Or no, like body odor is my well, thing. Well, now I got to right. mark this episode as explicit. Oh, What's that about? Sorry, go ahead and bleep that out. <laughs> so, uh, no, I, I think I think you can do things that are funny or eye catching that aren't shaming, which exactly, I think is what yep. you're, which I think is what you're saying. Which my thing is of smelling like a pig that could be construed as shaming, but you can still you you can you can put I want to smell like the Everglades and I want to smell like you know yesterday's trash or something like that and that would be kind of funny to look at and make a decision yeah, there pro- probably not within Old Spice's brand but I <laughs> I imagine there are probably brands out there that that could pull that off okay we are out of time Chris you're awesome man I always love having you on the show I'm glad that you that you came by you'll need to cut out probably 15 minutes of my talking today so <laughs> because of the gum like what because I'm talk I talk a lot <laughs> no it's fine. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, we invite you to leave a positive review on iTunes or any other podcasting platform that you're listening on. Uh, feel free to reach out. We we invite you to engage with us, whether that's to submit topic ideas or if you'd like to be a guest on the show. Uh, you can reach us at info. No, I get this wrong. Inbound. You. Inbound at belowthefold.io. Uh, and that's it. Until next time, we'll catch you below the fold.